Here's the situation, folks. Welcome to another edition of Drive Through Conversations, part of the Parking Lot Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest and certified tall boy himself, Mr. Vance Banzo. So without further ado, I kick it over to you, Kate, to introduce our special guest. Vance Banzo is a Salto Cree actor, writer, and comedian. A band member of Fishing Lake First Nation, Saskatchewan, Vance was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. Currently, he's living the dream in Toronto, Ontario. He made his feature film debut in the critically acclaimed Indian Horse and can be seen in the incredible 25th year of Mitzi Bearclaw, written and directed by Shelley Nero. As a comedian, he has performed on many stages across the country, including the Next Stage Theatre Festival and the Indigenous Storytelling Festival. He's a very proud member of award-winning sketch comedy troupe, Tall Boys to Men. Welcome, Vance. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Big boops. So I want to start uh, asking you, what do you really think of Elise Bailey? Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, we're just getting right into it. (laughs) Okay. Deep into this. Uh, Hard worker, uh, kind, and uh, a friend. Oh. But not confidant. Oh. Wouldn't wouldn't tell her shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's going to get around. Yeah, yeah. It's true. That's actually extremely accurate. It is. As soon as 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 Vance got here, I was like, so here's the tea. Here's who's pregnant. I still tell her everything. I just know that it's been circled around. That's so mean. I keep secrets. <laughs> I have lots of secrets that I will that not tell you. we just don't know about. Yeah, exactly, because yeah, yeah. it's a secret. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay, well, that's good to know. So you're not like like harboring any ill feelings towards her after production? No. I uh, just wanted to check. I mean, You if look she, really worried. Hey, no, if you were part of the reason why we didn't get renewed, then oh. that changes everything. Oh. But. Somebody tweeted the other day that was like, tall boys not getting renewed is like my villain origin story. And I was like, that's <laughs> really funny. I agree with that. Yeah. It's like um, this white kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. <laughs> Where um, will I learn my wokeness? <laughs> <laughs> And before we like start at the beginning, I just wanted to know how your pandemic has been. Mm. Uh, good. If you could just uh, give us a little update. Yeah. What have you been up to during the pandemic? Uh, first month of pandemic, uh, I was in like the earth is over mode. Uh, I, switched... I was there as well. Did, were you drinking during the day? Yes. Yeah. Still am. Tell yeah. her friend. No. We haven't <laughs> yeah. given that up. Yeah. <laughs> That's a way of life now. Yeah. Yeah. I was drinking tequila at like God, like nine o'clock in the morning for some reason. Just mm-hmm. thinking it was all over living in an apartment with my brother. It's desperate times. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, we all moved into a house on the, in Scarborough. That's where we live now with my mom and my brother. And oh, nice. We got a dog named Quachum. He's a baby and he gets babied all the time. What kind nice. of dog? He's a Shih Tzu. Oh yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that kind of dog. I'm Yappy. sorry. Yeah. Yappy. Yeah. Do you keep him with a short coat or like a long coat for a calendar? No, short coat. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like an Ewok. <laughs> so I like it. <laughs> so you're living in a house with your family? Yeah. That yeah. sounds really nice. It is. Were it you is. able to work at any point during the pandemic? Yeah, we were working on tall boys. Oh right. That happened. Yeah. That was I guess a that was mid pandemic, wasn't it? Yeah. That okay. was like you guys I think started in twenty nineteen. So yeah. you really spent most of the time in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, doing <laughs> 
when you're doing comedy and like TV, you're already in like, it feels like this box cut off from the rest of the world uh, and you don't get to tell your jokes for like six months before they land with yeah. everybody. But like even with, <laughs> with the pandemic, it felt like a box within a box. Cause yeah. The world was all just one thing. And then we were still writing pandemic material for season three and CBC's like, we're over it. We're <laughs> over it. Change it up. And it's like, we're not, we're still living in this. So. We're still very much in it. It worked yeah. out perfectly though. Cause I remember like you guys were writing and there was like a, you guys have like a whole bunch of sketches that are like, I feel for some reason, like I can't say this, but I'm like, it's on TV now. <laughs> Where yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's no secrecy. It's out in the public. It's out in the, but you have like the, the pandemic hero sketches, which is like a runner. Yep. And I remember people being like, this isn't really that relevant. Like, nah, nah, nah. And then as soon as it aired, it was like, oh, we we're very much <laughs> in like Still the in big it. 18th wave where it was like right. everybody was getting COVID. Yeah. Things were almost going to be locked down again. So it was like that sweet spot in like February, March where people were like, fuck this. Yeah so weird with like tv it's almost like you gotta you just gotta write what you want but it's like you almost have to tell the future at the same time yeah yeah i remember elise brought us to like my pandemic was very much bookended by tall boys in a weird way of like you guys did early read-throughs at the second city comedy bar Oh. No, I think. Oh, I did a read. There was one. Oh, we did all three of those places. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I went to the one at uh, Second City and Comedy Bar. Yeah. And then you guys did like a rap show for the end of whatever season you guys just shot at Comedy Cellar. And I saw you guys or Comedy Bar and I saw you guys there. And it felt yeah. very much like these these like amazing live performances that I just wasn't getting anywhere else. And it was Tall Boys was like a very it was a big part of my pandemic and like, an, <laughs> I would also hear Elise talk about it every week on the podcast of everything that was going on. That's really cool. That so your like, show got me through the pandemic is what I'm saying. There was where like, we're tied, tied to this huge traumatic event for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's going to remember it. It's good. Um, so I wanted to take you back to the beginning of your career as a Safeway cashier. Is that correct? Okay, Nardwar, how yeah, are you doing? Yeah. Thank you. Holy shit, really? <laughs> I tried to prep you that I was like, Kate's going to ask you some questions. That's She's so, going to hit you. What but... the fuck? That's yeah. so cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, can you talk? That was my uh, dream career when I was growing up was to be a cash cashier. I wanted to bag stuff and like check stuff out. Yeah. Uh, can you can you talk about your experience? I guess I can talk about it. Like I <laughs> wasn't uh, my Were first job. Were you passionate job. about it like I was? No, not whatsoever. Mm. At first, I loved I loved the uniform. I loved the brown shirt, black pants, mm. and apron. It mm. felt like I was like a part of like something bigger than myself. <laughs> you were part of like a, a union. Almost. Yeah, yeah, I was in a union. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like I got bored of it. Uh, everyone in my neighborhood like was stealing from it and like through me, like they'd like put meat in their pants and then they come through my register. Sorry, they put meat in their pants? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that sounds Steaks delightful. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would just count on you to not turn them in. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, is that a, is that a sausage in your pants? You're just happy to see me. <laughs> and then they were like, I don't know why Vance is always just like, like chatting up his friends. It's really weird. <laughs> It's like, dude, lay off. I'm going to report you. <laughs> but it was yeah. a good time. It was a good first job. Yeah, I liked it. Um, and then I just got bored and I got more interested in like hanging out with friends and stuff. And right. and I just wasn't very responsible and I just never came back. And you wanted to be a no. firefighter. Is that true? Yeah. So how? what happened there is what I'm asking. 
Uh, I don't know. I uh, career the mind just changed. I think I started getting laughs, and then that just was more intriguing than fighting fires. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Uh, we're gonna keep going through your um your job history. Uh, you worked at Jubilation's Dinner Theater. Yeah, serving meals dressed like a weird pharmacist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Drucker, yeah. Dr. Drucker, is that your first character? Uh, uh, my first character uh, was, um, I don't know, a weird guy named Shelby, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was just weird. He was like just a bigger version of myself, and uh -huh. I was just trying to get out of my shell. Right. But Dr. Drucker was like the first time where I was like putting it, I used to bite a lemon before I went out on the floor to serve every single time, so my face would get all squished, and I could keep that. Method, method acting. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. And then, yeah, and that was just, that was fun. Dr. Drucker just fucked up everyone's prescriptions. And, That's yeah. incredible. How did you get that job? Uh, I applied, I applied twice. I went to the dinner theater with uh, my ex-girlfriend and her mother, and that, that was, that was a lot of fun. I was like, I think I could do this. Like, I was looking for a job for a while. I was like, I think I like this job. It seems cool. Did she dump you after that? After you were like... <laughs> I think I can work here. She was like, oh, my God. That is a, a huge red flag. I got to get a new boyfriend. <laughs> well, I wanted to work yeah. for the Safeway. Yeah. <laughs> Need a union man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dinner theater wasn't unionized? That's no. That's too bad. No. Actually, yeah. Shock. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she addressing her, she did dummy. She said, We're better. We're, I think we're laying in bed one night, and she was just like, I think we're better friends. And I was like, It's fucking midnight. <laughs> what, is this the right time for this? Yeah. And then, yeah, but that's, that's so sad. Yeah. Solemnly, but, you just have to say, I think we're better friends too. Yeah. Know. But unrelated to being part of the dinner theater crowd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ditched her, got into the dinner theater crowd. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. What a good start. So, what were, when did you, was like acting your first what you thought you were going to do or was comedy always the route you knew you were going to take? What were you thinking about at that age? Uh, that would have been like, I mean, well, in dinner theater, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of just avoiding what I was going to do, I think. Right. I was just, this is a fun place to work. I'm really enjoying it. And I really had no clue about the future. I was like, I'm probably going to end up in a trade. I know my friends are like, right. they work with... Uh, I don't know, fucking thermostats on the side of buildings. I don't know. That's a complicated, too complicated. <laughs> the name's too complicated for what that job is, I think. Thermostats? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, Are you sure that's their job? Gauges. Yeah, the, I know what you're talking about. And those, like, if I ever owned a house, that would be like the number one thing I don't touch. It's <laughs> like big thing on the side of the house. You're like, what? I don't Isn't know. that like a reader for hydro? I don't know. <laughs> I never yeah. planned to own a house, so this is not something I need to know. Yeah. Such a lie. <laughs> Never going to own a house. That's optimistic. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, sorry, where were we? You wanted to, you were working, you're avoiding figuring out what you wanted avoiding to do. Avoiding the future. Yeah. And I was just trying to um, audition for shows so I could stay there longer, go on tour, dinner theater tour. Wait, which shows were you auditioning for? I was auditioning for like shows like Two and Three Quarters Men and uh <laughs> Corner gassed and Amazing. yeah, just all these like really shitty knockoffs. Yeah, uh, but people put their heart into and their fan. I wa I went to go watch Dinner Theater like two years ago, and I was like, God, why did I why did I act like this was stupid? Like these people are exhausted. They're <laughs> dancing. They're acting. They have to serve food after. So, yeah, like, maybe oh my can God. you actually explain to me what Dinner Theater is? It's like a play. 
as people eat dinner yeah uh yeah so you get you get dinner breaks and stuff like that but it's a three-act play uh three-act musical based on uh something that you've maybe seen on television once before something oh, familiar you know how most struggling actors start off by waiting tables yeah. they're like why don't we just cut out the middlemen let's just Bring combine the, the two of them all together to table. let's just get it going yeah that's a genius concept so you no. were auditioning for other dinner theater shows yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i see so as an audience member you're signing up to go see a specific show yeah and and the problem with that is that logic is it's like i didn't think it was like there's no there's no native people in any of these <laughs> these right. shows that they're putting on right. right i mean corner gas but they didn't i actually got to play the the lawrence cardinals character as oh, a wow. as a server and then during breaks i'd have to go and lip sync to I think it was like a white man doing a native voice, but like I'd have to go lip sync to it. Hey, how's it going there? Hey. That's so bad. <laughs> this is, all, this oh is Alberta. God. Yeah. Oh, this is in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. Alberta's <clears throat> dinner theater scene. And where are these held? Uh, West Edmonton Mall. Uh, there's a dinner theater there. Uh, in Calgary, they have a dinner theater just like on the south side. It's its own building with like a an Australian themed dueling piano bar right beside it. <laughs> wow. Uh, I just, I have so many questions and I know we're not here to talk about this, but my number one question is how do you order dinner? Oh yeah. So a character <laughs> comes up. Okay. So here's the spiel. I'm never going to forget this spiel. It's like my library card number. So it's, um, hi, welcome to the, hi, 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 welcome to the, the big deck, uh, yeah, big deck. Huh? And then, so tonight you get the, you get a soup and a salad. You get a choice of, uh, a beef chicken or, uh, a beef chicken fish or veg option. Then you get a choice of two desserts, um, uh, chocolate or a vanilla something. And then, uh, or a fruit plate. If, if you want a fruit plate, Perfect. drink menus right at the end of the table. I'm going to be your server tonight. Uh, here's my silly name and uh, uh, little joke. And then <laughs> yeah. you get out of there and then you do the shame spiel for somebody like two, three feet away, but they're all just always eating it up, you know, do it for us. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Tell us the special. Do it for us. <laughs> we just heard it, but we want to hear it again. <laughs> again, again. So from there, like you, I guess you knew at some point you wanted to be on stage from that experience or despite that experience uh no from that experience that was it was like a lot of fun those years of just like playing pretend and then you get your tips and you get your check at the end of two weeks and you're like oh i'm making money from just like bullshitting and then you're making all these friends you're going out every sunday to do karaoke you're like this is like oh this is <laughs> it's an alcohol fueled incestuous community right. but it's one i like you know it's like what <laughs> i'm proud happy of. but it's home yeah. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so then when did you uh stop avoiding what you wanted to actually do and how did you make that decision yeah, my mom just kind of said to me one day, I was up with my mom, and she was just like, hey, so you got to go back. Like, you can't just be doing this dinner theater all the time. I'm seeing, like, your behavior. You're always sleeping until noon. You got to make a change. So I was just like, okay, if I got to go back, um, let me look at some schools. And I started asking people at the dinner theater, and then um, one guy named uh, Stephen Kepler, he was just like, well, I auditioned, well, I applied for a place called Humber College. I had a comedy program there. I didn't get in, but I think you're funny as hell. Maybe you can get in. So that's what I did. I applied, and then then I got in. Then my wow. mom freaked out. She's like, I'm at a college like here in town. Don't move across the country. Like, well, see ya. Bye. Wow. Yeah. So you, from that point, you then decided to move to Toronto and go to Humber College School? 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't looking back, like how stupid. Like uh <laughs> it didn't really work out, did it? Um no. <laughs> but yeah, your career really just hasn't you haven't found it yet. Oh, I, I didn't have I didn't prepare. I, I just kind of was like, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna find a hostel and I'm gonna go to school. And wow. a hostel? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I wow. So you you moved in you moved to Toronto and stayed in a hostel when you first arrived. Yeah. Yeah, wow. got into a cab, arrived at the hostel. It was an old man, really. Oh, he wouldn't move for anyone. Like, he just stayed in the one chair in the one room. He was this really old man. He was like, all right. And he drew up, like, a piece of paper receipt. And yeah. Then had me pay for the week. And then I stayed there till I found another place. But I didn't learn my lesson. Second year, I went back and I was like, oh, I still didn't find a place. I got to go back to that hostel. And I went, I pull up to the hostel and it's like all like being renovated and there's people doing uh, demolition in there. And I go up and I was like, hey, there was a hostel here. And the guy just looks at me and goes, ha, ha. And then he walked away. He just laughed at me. <laughs> oh, no, that's ominous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hostel. There's just like a bunch of paper receipts on the floor. <laughs> like of like bloody fingerprints on them. What happened? Just outlines of bodies. See the old man's hands underneath the rubble. <laughs> Oh my God, that's horrifying. And then uh, you met Tim Blair on your first day of school. Mm-hmm. How did you guys meet? What was your first impression? Was it love at first sight? Uh, I thought he was, I mean, there was a chair beside him. So <laughs> there was really Perfect. nowhere else to sit. I was super late. I think I got, God adds up. I got lost. I got mm-hmm. lost. Uh, I, I ended up telling someone I met later. Actually, we dated later, but she was like, first time I met you, you told me that you're Filipino. And I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you were super late for class. And you're like, you're like, and you're like, are you native? And you're like, no, I'm Filipino. I was like, I didn't think I felt that much shame when I moved to Toronto, but I guess I did. I also love that idea that she was like, oh, you were late. And you're like, I'm Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I was super late. I went in and I sat beside Tim and Malik, and um, yeah, and it was. We ended up really working together when our stand-up professor Larry Horowitz was like, "You guys have a good chemistry. I consider you guys working together, collaborating more." Oh wow! Yeah. So, what were some of the classes you took, and did you find it like helpful in your comedy journey to go to school for it? The, I think the the experience of being in school with all those other people who are like who want to do comedy and are doing bits and stuff like that. I think that was more important than what they made us pay for. Right, like, right, right. Like we were learning, like they just throw so much at you. They're just they're like, oh, we're gonna do acting and stand up and sketch and improv and and then like all these other courses and screenwriting in the second year and clown. You got to learn clown, physical comedy, and it's just yeah. you're just. They're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and you're the right. wall. Like, right. and you're just you're like, yeah, I'm enjoying all of this, all of this. I'm, I'm learning stage combat for some reason. <laughs> like I'm a comedian. That's I'm learning cool. fucking stage combat. Because so. you get heckled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can knock a guy out. But it was, it was the people I met there. So you're a classically trained comedian at this point. Yeah, I guess. That's I mean, impressive. Yeah. But it's the, yeah, I, from my school days, it's who you meet. It's the community you form while you're there and like then the collaborations that come after it yeah i mean i didn't i didn't technically graduate i don't have a diploma or anything like that um but like i met bruce there and that was like did you yeah how did you first meet bruce he came in to teach some sketch yeah like 
uh, Robin Duke he's friends with. So and this is Bruce McCullough for all our yeah, listeners. Bruce McCullough. He's good friends with Robin Duke, who was on SNL, and she was teaching at the school. And then she just had a bunch of um, students that she liked their sketch ideas. And then she was like, okay, Bruce, here's a, a group of young people and work with them on their sketches. And yeah, and he was he was a good guy. Did you know who Bruce was when you met him? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, little weird man from Kids in the Hall. Like mm-hmm. that's that's all you really you know. You were like, oh, you guys got this one? Yeah. Oh, oh I see. Where's Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what was your first time on stage like as like a comedian? I thought it was good. Uh, it was for a charity event for um for cats. My friend Kirby, she has um, for the play cats. No. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, that'd be hilarious. Um, my friend has a, a charity for for cats how to get a bandit, saving cats from euthanasia. Mm. Oh, that's much less funny. Yeah, uh, I went. And she asked me to do some comedy, do some stand up. So I went up and I, I wore a suit jacket and a t shirt, and I was like, "Oh, I look like a comedian." And then <laughs> I went up, and first thing I did because I was like feeling pretty anxious is I took off my jacket and I just. I just screamed at the crowd and I threw it into them. <laughs> and then there was a table full of drinks I just knocked all over onto everybody. <laughs> and they had to comp their whole table. And <laughs> <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> Sorry. All right, let me get into it. Yeah. Now that that's, that's out of the way. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess that's as good as you could hope for. Yeah, just get the worst possible... And then did you like... How Is the audience were, real mad at you? <laughs> <laughs> were you getting laughs after that? Was it like... Yeah. Like how did your act go? Uh, it went good. It how went long really did good. you have to prep? How how long was your act and how long did you prep for it? Uh, uh, I had a five minute act. And I think I prepped a week um, from oh. like writing the jokes to like that memorizing it. That seems really it. fast. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wouldn't do it that way. Like brand new. I was doing that way. Like it was a monologue for acting, Yeah, but I wouldn't do it that way anymore. It's like, if it's more natural, if you're just like a funny person on stage instead of trying to deliver something funny. Right, Mm. right, right. Um, I wanted to talk about some of your early inspirations, which were Simpsons, Family Guy, South Park. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, I was smoking weed at 13 years old. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> um, You're saying the word boobies a lot. Yeah. Um, what were you inspired by, and how does that? How did it like manifest itself in your work? Mm, I think I watched I watched Simpsons because it was uh, I was going to say the most consistent thing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true whatsoever. It still uh, is. <laughs> Put that on the box. Set. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was on every day at like five p.m. on CBC. So I'd come home and I just watched that. And CBC played The Simpsons. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, they had a nice little slot after school. So uh, yeah, I think I just kind of got my sense of humor from that, um, and then. You know, I was like, I was like, you can't say it. he's the devil now, but I was listening to Louis C.K. like <laughs> later on, yeah. later on in life, like towards my late teens and yeah. stuff. And uh, Dimitri Martin. And I love Dimitri Martin. Oh, he's great. I don't know, you know who Dimitri Martin is. Who uh, is he? Oh, he had this show on Comedy Central for a while called Important Things with Dimitri Martin. Mm-hmm. And like, it wasn't even really sketch because like his big thing is that he has like a big pad that he draws on that he just draws these like very simple line drawings. He's like, look, a sunset. Oh, it's a bald man peeking over a table. <laughs> just very basic <laughs> stuff. But it's very silly humor, but he's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, continue. 
Yeah, and um, I like those other the cartoon shows because they were they were just of that genre. I really enjoyed it, and right. Futurama is a big one. I always go back to. I feel like Futurama has like a lot of heart, and that's the kind of stuff I'd like to write too. Wow. Yeah. I I feel like that's something I'm pretty like under. I don't I don't watch a lot of that kind of comedy, and I really should because I feel like it's a lot of touch points for people. My boss included. Cartoons? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it so slowly with such disdain. <laughs> Cartoons? <laughs> Shocking. Uh, so I wanted to talk about the 2019 Indigenous Storytelling event. Because mm-hmm. there's some of it on YouTube that I was able to watch. And it did kind of feel like you were doing a stand-up set along with storytelling. And I wanted to talk about the like combination of comedy and storytelling for you. Like how do those two things fit together? Uh, I mean, it's, it feels like one in the same a storytelling uh, to me is like a very broad term. You can you'd be a screenwriter and storyteller, stand up storyteller. I think it's, it's, I, I just, for that thing, I remember just being like, all right, no one's going to want to hear these fast paced, punchy stuff here. I feel like I got to really slow this set down and just talk and communicate with people. And just share real experiences. So I think that's, that's yeah, that's what I did. I was, I think I was going through a little bit of a harder time then. And I was doing a lot more connecting to my culture. So I was just kind right. of telling the story of that. And it felt like an appropriate space for it. Is that how you always approach your comedy? <clears throat> is through storytelling? Uh, I feel like the other times I've seen you on stage, there is like a storytelling style that you have. That's yeah. different from a lot of other comedy that I've seen. I think there has to be uh, a meaningful connection between uh, the artist and the audience um, on stage, like, uh, or else it kind of feels hollow. I've, I've always really enjoyed, to me, anyways. I've always really enjoyed uh, a connection between you and the and the person, you know, communicating their ideas. Like, uh, just to drop a name here in the city, Kyle Lucy is like really good at that. You feel like he's a guy that really is telling his honest vulnerable truth and it feels like you're sitting across from a table instead of watching him with 50 other people mm-hmm. right yeah as you're like telling a story are you monitoring like an audience's engagement and are you like shifting your story telling to as like if you're doing multiple nights telling the same kind of um like show do you change it to match audiences reactions or you do you go out with with your set and say this is what it is um i think with my improv background i find that i excuse me um i i go on stage and i kind of carry the energy that maybe i'd seen previously in the show Mm. um uh i'm very like I laugh at my own stuff on stage and like I can be like pretty giggly, but like my goal is always to be like stoic and like not like not like native stoic, but like <laughs> like stoic as in, you know, like be able to control the room, control yeah. the pacing them and the feeling of a room. I've seen like a lot of amazing comics just like follow an act that was just so hectic in their in their head and trying to rattle off their jokes and at the same time they're like this is a lot for being off the cuff huh and like don't lie to me you know like just enjoy your your material um and i shang wang i saw him in montreal this past well a couple weeks back now and the way he controlled the room i thought was just incredible he just let everyone sit in the silence and he was like no i'm driving the bus 
Like, mm -hmm. don't laugh. Like, don't talk during my set. Everyone can hear you. It's my joke time right now, and I'm going to take my time with this. Whoa. Yeah. Being comfortable. Don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Being comfortable with silence is a crazy skill that I don't think a lot of, it takes a lot of practice to be comfortable with. Yeah. And yeah, I think it asks a lot of the audience too to just like reset their pace for mm -hmm. whatever this show is going to be. Um, I wanted to talk about, because you're also a musician. Yep. So, um, can you talk about your music and how does that also sort of fit into who you are as a performer in comedy? Like, can you talk about your music career a little bit? Um, I guess like uh, comedians that are also musicians have great timing, I right. find. Um, but like natural rhythm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. A way to, you know, just catch the ear if it were. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but mm, uh, tying it into like comedy and music have always been pretty separate for me. Like I, I remember uh, Linda Ellis, who runs a lot of the programming over at uh, Humber College. She was just like, why don't you, you play bass? Why don't you bring that on stage with you? And then you could play bass and tell jokes at the same time. And I was like, that seems like a lot to do, like to carry around an amp at a bass. And you can also knit, do that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All your skills at once. Do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I heard Bruce McCauley used to do that. He used to have a bass. He'd play bass at Yuck Yucks and tell jokes over top of it. So it was pretty cool to learn that. It's kind of like a Tom Waits kind of vibe, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Like a low-key. Yeah, like, but imagine he's like, I was walking with my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so you're Bruce McCullough, not your Tom Waits impression. Yeah, that's Bruce McCullough, not Tom Waits. Tom Waits would be like, I was with my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> the bass would be like, boom, 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 <laughs> People are like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, don't laugh. <laughs> don't fucking laugh. <laughs> be quiet. Um. So, so you play bass and like, can you talk about your music a little bit? <laughs> Make it sound like I'm like in a room, just kind of like, oh, all right, can here comes uh, another composition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing it down. Uh, <laughs> well, my music currently is me jamming while after I smoke a joint, which is nice. That sounds great. La playing Last Dance with Mary Jane <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> that should be the title of your album. Yeah, playing Last Dance with Mary Jane. She moved in. From the, How did um, you start playing? I, I, my brother gifted me a bass because my friend wanted to start a band for Battle of Bands in junior high. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to play Seven Nation Army. Yeah. And he was like, I need a bass, man. And it's like, that's, he did. That's a key part of that song. I, I, it, honestly, it took me a lot of years to find out, like, Jack White doesn't play a bass. There's no bass in that band. <laughs> like, I know what you said. Like, wow. What does... Yeah. Jack White doesn't... Uh, uh, never mind. Doesn't matter. He plays a guitar. I got it. Yep. Plays the guitar. Yeah. yeah. He's an axe man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I see them both on stage, I don't know the difference between a bass and a guitar, which is... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going to say between Meg and Jack White. <laughs> when I see also them on stage, that. I don't know the difference. Also, that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. Um... 
Okay. So you were just sort of thrown into, someone gave you the instrument, said, we need you to play. Yeah. And I told my brother, I was like, I want to join a band. He was like, okay, I got a Christmas gift idea for you. Yeah. And he got me that bass. Did you join like a real band at some point? Yeah. What was the name of your band? Uh, Okay. Uh, It was called Hungry Hollow. And that was that was a band I, that that sound means you don't like that name. <laughs> you don't like the name it's not the my first choice for a band name. Ah, yeah. yeah Hungry Hollow. That was uh, there was a guy named Ian. It meant it meant something to him, of course, enough to get it tattooed on his forearms. Good for Ian. Well, you know. I support Ian and his journey, and I I will go listen to Hungry Hollow for sure. It's yeah. Like, the hungry hell. It's like the spiritual thing about, you know, you keep eating and eating, hoping to feel something inside. And it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're just hollow and you're left there. You loved Hungry Hungry Hippos. You loved <laughs> Shipley Hollow. It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's actually a very profound metaphor. Hungry and hollow. Comes from an everlasting. I'm actually song. in that bend now. Ian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so then you just kept playing with that band? I played with them for a while till I left for Toronto, um, right. and then they then they replaced me right before the big tour. Ouch! Yeah, I was pretty pissed off about that. Who did that. they replace you with? Some guy I actually met this past summer. He was like, he's he just came up super hammered, and he was like, "Hey, how you doing?" Because I went to Edmonton, he was like, "Hey, how you doing?" And he saw Chris, my buddy, who was also in Hungry Hollow. Hey, Chris, how you doing? It's like, oh, Vance. He's like, oh yeah, you played Hungry Hollow. I went on that big BC tour instead of you. <laughs> See you later. And then I was like, all right, I think I won though. <laughs> <laughs> Smash cut to you doing like a stand up. And then I want to talk about your role on the Beaverton. Okay. Is that still, are you still, is that still happening? That uh, I don't think the Beaverton got renewed. Okay. Really? I don't think so. Unless they're like doing oh. the longest fourth season ever. Like they've been away for a long time. So I'm not too sure. Uh, but how was your experience on the Beaverton? Uh, actually, this is a story. Um, I was told I did the Beaverton digital, and okay. I just cut off the digital at the end and put it on my resume. I was like, <laughs> I need to fast track this career. And <laughs> no one's going to be able to find the. That's very smart. So, yeah, I technically did the Beaverton. Yeah. It was like a Beaverton digital thing. And you can find them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It was a Russian roulette thing that I did. Um, and then I ended up killing myself, which is really weird. In uh, a sketch? In a sketch, yeah, at the end of a sketch. Killing myself for my comedy. Yeah, absolutely. My craft. For my craft. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was a good time? Yeah, it was a great experience. How did you get that? How did you first get that role? Was that like your first big TV role? A uh, digital role? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you call that a role? Yeah. <laughs> All TV is digital now. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was very exciting. It was like off a Facebook thing and submit. And I submitted a self tape and I got all prepared for it. And it was, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was great. So, where were you at this point with your career with like Tim and was Tall Boys in the picture at all? I honestly can't re- really remember. I think maybe it was before Tall Boys. I think it was even, uh, it was immediately right after I graduated Humber. So, about summer of 16. Got it. Yeah. What was that first summer like when you graduated school? Did you know you wanted to stay in Toronto? Yeah, that was so fun. It was, it was fun? Yeah, because all the old mics were still happening. It was like Toronto was in this like really cool 
swing of comedy where you could do six open mics in one night. And I, I was just came out of college. So I had like no problem, like hopping on a train, doing a mic, going to another place, doing a mic. And then you're just, you're just hanging out with your friends all night. And then your last mic, you're like, okay, we'll just sit here and have beers till like two o'clock in the morning and just talk comedy. So it was like, it was a really, really cool time to like be a comedian. Yeah. So was there like a scene of people who are going from spot to spot every night doing the, doing the rounds? Yeah. I mean, there's a mostly young, like, um, like, driven people uh a lot of like addicts like you can get addicted to comedy just right. chasing the dragon like you're but like there comes a point where doing that my, many mics you're not making any forward momentum anymore it just feels like you're spinning your tires mm -hmm. now you're questioning all of the stuff you're doing you're not giving anything any time to breathe you're just thinking about comedy 24 7 just, then you're getting discouraged just checking out boxes and yeah stuff. well i can imagine like i'm I'm surprised that that first summer out was like so nice. I just I remember graduating from school and just feeling like so stressed out about what the next steps were going to be and what the path was and if I was ever going to find a paying job and yeah. it was just it was pure anxiety and I guess the thing about comedy is there's a way of like practicing your craft every night whenever whenever you need to that's I don't yeah. know slightly different from other art forms you kind of you have those little um those little ticks you know yeah. little, little notches in the tree like oh chris Locke watched my set yeah. and you're like you just got out of college and yeah he's like so funny and you're like oh my god like that there's a win there's another win that's enough to just keep me going enough right. to the next set or to go home and to brag about that right you know? yeah um i wanted to talk about your role on um the movie uh, Indian Horse, mm -hmm. which I've only managed to find a trailer for it, but it looked beautiful. How did you get that? How did you decide to take that role? Well, I just like to say that's a movie that every Canadian should see um, or should have already seen. Um, so if, yeah. Or should have already watched, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Copy, got it. <laughs> got it, got it. No, no, I would never say idiot. Uh, so, no, um, yeah, that was that was really cool. That That happened... Can you describe um, what it's about? Indian horse. <laughs> you should have already watched it. Oh, okay. What's it about? <laughs> Who else is in it? <laughs> Just deciding if I'll watch it. Yeah. So it's executive produced by Clint Eastwood. It's directed by a man named Stephen Campanelli, who is Clint Eastwood's main camera operator for a number of years. Um, so visually, it's stunning. Uh, Yves Boulanger, who did Brooklyn and like some other really great films, he's the cinematographer on it. They did a really great job. Eve actually, when I met him, uh, I went to use the washroom and I was, uh, we were having lunch or whatever. I got up, I went to go use the washroom and I'm using the urinal. And he comes in and he goes up to the urinal and then he does it normal. And he's like, oh, geez, well, now I have to. And then he like, he pulls out his pants and puts his ass in the urinal like he was going to take a shit. And I, I was just like, oh, this is like, this is a very French joke. Like, pants down? <laughs> Like, no, I didn't see no dink or nothing like that. <laughs> like, didn't see no dink. Vance Banzo. No dink, no problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, yeah, he's a funny guy. And 
but the movie is about uh, Saul Indian Horse, who is stripped away from his family, who is living in the bush to escape the Indian agents. And this was uh, something in the 1950s. Very, it's a true story. Well, it's based on true events. So in the 1950s, Indian agents were going into reservation and stripping the children away from the parents to essentially strip and assimilate them into Canadian culture and strip their identity away from them. No language, no tradition, nothing like that. You are Canadians now, and this is how we're going to solve the Indian problem. So they, um, Saul is living amongst his family deep in the bush to get away from the Indian agents. And eventually his little, his older brother gets sick. So they have to, the parents, he gets sick and the, his brother passes away. The parents go back into town and Saul is forced to live in the wilderness with his grandmother, waiting for his parents to come back, which they never do. So the, it's cookum is, um, so the Cree word for grandmother, um, Nokomis is the Anishinaabe Moan word for grandmother. Nokomis takes him to head south. So they she has family in the south and they can stay there for the winter. Uh, winter comes real fast and his grandmother passes away in the wilderness. And he's stuck on the side of the road with nobody and the Indian agents find him and take him to residential school. So it's just about Saul's journey through residential school, dealing with uh, abuse, both physical and mental, um, and him finding an escape in that that horror, which was hockey, to take his mind away from everything that was happening. He was gift. He had an amazing God-given skills. How the priest described it, he was what too young to play with the older boys, but he was way better than the older boys. So that just kind of becomes his safe haven while in residential school. And eventually that gets him playing with, um, once he turns like 16 or stuff, uh, he, you're, you're getting ready to leave the, re- uh, the residential school. And they'll put you out on your own into the world, which when you're dealing with like that amount of trauma, it's like bad news bears. You're not going to make any forward regression. You're not going to get a job. No one's going to treat you with respect. So he's, thank God he has this hockey skill. And a reserve team uh, essentially drafts him, pulls him out of the school. The coach of the reserve team went to that same school, St. Mary's. So they're like, okay, well, he's good enough to play with the older boys. They're much bigger. Pull him out of the school. And um, that's like that. Yeah, that's when I show up. I'm part of part of the, the moose, the team, the all-native team. And that's like one of the more – I really enjoyed that experience because it was part of the more joyous parts of that film. Right. Like – more laughs, more brotherly love, stuff like that. And it's just about Saul's journey to, won't ruin it, to either greatness or something else. Yeah. It does. I will watch it. You did. It sounds like essential watching for Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you guys film it? And so, and so I, did you answer, how did you get involved in that movie? What was that audition process like? <clears throat> Uh, I went in to sign with uh, my acting agency. Um, I, I like, I was like, okay, yeah, I really like Alex. Uh, I'm gonna go sign uh, with her. She was interested, so I was like, okay, cool. This is like that one big step. And we're sitting yeah. down, we're talking, and I just signed like the uh, my life over to Fountainhead Talent or whatever it was. <laughs> and then uh, the secretary, our um, administrative uh, person, came in 
with a piece of paper. It was like, hey, I got an audition and <laughs> and it's for a movie called Indian Horse. So I'm looking for a larger native man to uh, play a guy named um, Buddy Black Wolf or whatever. And I was like, we got one of those in the back. So, <laughs> so <laughs> he's fresh. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she brought it in and then she's like, do you want to audition for this? And I was like, OK, great. I'll submit you. And then before I knew it, I was in the uh, in the room with the director and yeah, uh, charmed my way into that one, I think. So was um, Clint Eastwood on, were you meeting Clint Eastwood? Were you having no breakfast? Uh, were you Clint peeing Eastwood? next to Clint Eastwood? <laughs> <laughs> hey kid. Uh, <laughs> nice dink. <laughs> Ran Torino. I always love Clint Eastwood said that to you. <laughs> Uh, he actually, uh, Stephen, uh, did a screener for him down in LA and he, that's, he watched the film and he was like, I think it's powerful. Uh, if it's okay, I'd like to put my name on this as executive producer and, and then oh, give wow. it a little bit of a push. Yeah. Get yeah. it seen. Yeah. But he didn't come meet the cast, which was uh, <laughs> no good. Then I want to talk about the, uh, your next movie, the incredible 25th year of Mitzi Bearclaw. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that process how did you get involved with that uh, same thing a self-tape came in uh <laughs> same thing i auditioned kate doesn't know what auditions are <laughs> <laughs> but how did you like <laughs> how did you find out about the script what interested you in the role i can be more specific uh i think i like they had everyone in the cast audition for a guy named Charlie B and Charlie B is I think Shelly's favorite character just a tragic character a kid that gets and Shelly Nero's the director yeah yeah Shelly she's fantastic um uh, check out her work she's usually a visual artist but this is her first take at a feature film and she uh had everyone audition and sing so sing a song any song you want and uh and then we're gonna see who gets who gets the role like very voice like they she pressed a button and her chair turned around. <laughs> <laughs> and then Howie Mandel yeah. comes in <laughs> with yeah. the button. An eagle cries. Come well, on. What song did you sing? Uh, I uh, it was um, it's called like uh, high, uh, it's car powwow. You look it up on YouTube, but it's like it's just four guys. Guy named Antoine Edwards Jr. He's with his friends. He's a like a really good musician now. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, he was just recording YouTube videos. And it's just yeah. this really nice uh, car round dance song. And it's really pretty. And I, I just was listening to that at the time. Wow. Yeah. And that got you the role. Uh, that got me the role of the, I think me being kind of whitewashed got me the role of oh, like, fuck. uh, the city Indian, you know, the, mm. the, uh. the guy who grew up in Toronto and he's all about his thesis and academia and he's dating this you know, girl who grew up on the res. Yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. How do is that like, even in a, in a movie like that, that seems, um, tricky that skin color comes into play into getting a role. Like, is that... I don't know. Is that indicative of the industry you've, as you found it? Uh, I think so. I mean, every audition I get is like, it's like indigenous or like any, any ethnicity, but it's like, we, uh, we're happy to include uh, indigenous peoples and all this stuff. Like, it's just all these, like, don't get me canceled talk, you know, like mm. you know, underneath. So is that the vibe in the room when you're like auditioning? Uh, no, everyone's kind of like very kind. I haven't been in a room in a long time though. It has been a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's been about three years, but <laughs> everyone's just like, 
no one's really outward like ever been like oh hey hey you native guy fuck mm. wouldn't you really be good at this <laughs> want some tobacco <laughs> yeah. so yeah no one like, Maybe when I leave the room, but uh, <laughs> how's like, that? A, how's that tax? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a feeling of like a mandate being filled, Fuck but in the moment, that's not how they like the human interaction is actually going. Yeah, no, I've never felt like anyone is like overtly racist or too interested in me being native, but maybe I've blocked that out. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about. Um, your writing process um how what what does your writing process look like do you procrastinate are you um are you sort of like as you're writing are are you trying to be political what do you what are you trying to get across um i i don't know i mean uh <laughs> something that i heard uh i've heard my friends say which i think is very smart is just that being a person of color everything you do is political especially like right now what's going on like just with everyone learning you know um interact interacting more learning about each other and like you know people are having a chance to speak their mind so um i think i think that's definitely true my writing process is me smoking a joint giggling at thoughts this is the good stuff yeah 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 yeah. uh and just like just writing down what i think is funny um could be in the middle of the night or it's just something will make you laugh and you're like, I'm just going to chase that. Whatever, whatever that is. Like right now I'm working on a stand-up joke about like, can we, or can't we hit? Like there's a lot of benefits of hitting that we're not looking at. Like, and like, like violence sometimes is the answer. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like that. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, I, I think it was like brought up cause like Will Smith did an apology into the abyss recently where he was just yeah. kind of like staring at a camera and be yeah. like, you won't talk I, to I'm me. I'm sorry to Chris Rock's mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, yeah, hitting didn't work for him in that sense. But like, Chris Rock has never mentioned Jada Pickett Smith since then. So like it worked. So true. The GI Jane movie was then canceled. So So you basically, it just, it's when it, when inspiration strikes, you're just able to write. Yeah. Do you you, like when you're doing a tall boy season and you're, do you guys have a writer's room for that? Yeah. uh, So when you're writing under pressure, and um, maybe not under the influence. What's is that a separate process? Um, it's a, I can only speak to like the first two seasons where we were in a room together and we go off and we'd sit beside each other and write. And on, if I'm honest, not a lot of the stuff that we sat down together and wrote together made it on the show. Like I think, mm. um, uh, like uh, th- I, there are some examples, but like me specifically. Me and Tim, like, oh yeah, um, uh, what's the one about the stupid cops? Uh, there's one in season three about two cops who got season two. They're so stupid, case crackers, and we thought that was so funny, and we're laughing our asses off, and we're writing that together. But we had to fight to get that on the show because they thought it was too stupid, right? Like, so it was. I found like a lot of the stuff that I it just inspiration based and just in the moment and I was able to just write it. That was the stuff that was like kind of squeaking through, um, making it into scripts and making it into different drafts and not hitting the boneyard as we called it. Got it. So yeah. the stuff you were writing with the other boys was not always the best to come out of it. 
Yeah, I think maybe we overthought, maybe too many cooks. Um, Would you guys go and write separately then? Is that? Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of separate writing, which was complete opposite to like when we're doing our live stuff. It was, um, it was all collaborative. It right. was everyone gets their joke in. We'll find room for that, and it was just that's why I think our live show felt so chaotic and fun and absurd. It's because we were all trying to get our humor into there. And we're all coming from improv and like, yep, yep, that goes in. Yep, we can find room for that. Absolutely. Yep, yeah. Everyone gets a chance to shine. So, yeah. So let's just dive into Tall Boys then. How did you guys form the the group originally? And it was called Tall Boys to Men. Sorry, I was just looking at fans. He was like, fuck. (laughs) Man, so you knew we were going to get here eventually. (laughs) Every interview. We can't not yeah. talk about it. On the <laughs> elevator up, I was like, don't worry. It's not going to be like the 80 other interviews you just did about tall boys. Where they're like, what's the name? Where did yeah. that come from? How'd you get so tall? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to Safeway. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about okay, it. Sorry, great. sorry. Happy to talk about it. I was like, do, no, no, do no. not want to talk. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that, Elliot, but Kate just went... <laughs> I wasn't conscious of making that noise. It's just my heart leaving my body. We don't have to talk about it. No, I'm happy to talk kidding. about it. I'm happy to like, like I'm I'm excited. Your questions have been the, the safe one went through me off. So okay, great. I'm looking for a tall boy's one that I'll be like, how the how did you know that we masturbated together? How did, how did you, <laughs> we did that so alone. Franco told me you took a shit in the sink. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, we're gonna need some sad stories from Elise after. So you you already knew Tim. Yep. And then you found the other two boys. Yeah. On the street. Yeah. At the just, hostel. Yeah. Yeah. We went back and sat in there. <laughs> there they were. <laughs> uh, we were all doing like that summer uh, following the Humber. We were doing a bunch of comedy. Yeah. A bunch of sets. And uh, that's how I got to know Gulen at first. Uh, we were on a bus together. And then we're just talking about comedy. And then he, very genuinely, he's like, so what do you what do you want to do? Like, what what's your life? What do you want? What do you, what's your goals? And I think at that time, I was thinking about being a business owner. I was like, I want to start a, a comedy bar, or a vaudeville thing. And <laughs> I'm going to open a hostel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly where. <laughs> oh my god! And um, vaudeville, that's crazy. Yeah, that would have been cool. Well, it's not too late. Not too, it's never too late. No, I like I had an old prof talk about like old vaudeville houses. I thought it was so cool and like have like three floors and you had like like imagine a space that had like imp- a room built for improv and then a room built for stand up and a room that was like more sketch comedy you know based or character based and I was thought the idea of having like three different venues housed in one place and like I think I don't know that that was found like a very cool idea it's wow. like the yeah. Madison house for comedy yeah I would absolutely go there like twice a week if you open that up yeah I mean if you're just waiting for me to say I think it's a good idea Okay. I think it's a good idea. It sounds like we were. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and an angel investment. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you still haven't answered the question of how you met the other two tall boys. Yeah. So he uh, just said he met Gula on a bus. Uh, okay, one tall boy. What? Yeah, Gula on a bus. A uh, host a late night show like you know Jimmy Fallon or yeah. like yeah yeah. So we thought that uh, just I liked him from the beginning. I thought he was just like a cool guy. And then uh, Franco, I just 
I just got to meet through Tim and and then found out he's very good friends with Gulet. And then we started doing improv. But for me and Franco, I think it was always kind of like north and north, you know, like we're just kind of uh, we both recognized each other's skill mm. always. But we had trouble really interlocking and, and connecting. And uh, I've never we've never done therapy, so we've never figured that out. But, um <laughs> But there's a very funny photo when we first go to Montreal and Tim's like, take a photo together. Cause he knew like we weren't like always chatting and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> take a photo together in front of this fountain. And then it's like us sitting down the fountain about six feet away from each other. <laughs> and we're like, we're like trying to look cool, but like, it's like. Just I'm, two best friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so what was the process then of uh, meeting? I guess you met Bruce and then turned the stage show into a tv show how did that happen um we were asked um the reason tall boys formed i feel like i was like i, I keep having to going back because they're all inter interconnected because everything happened so fast we uh toronto sketch fest asked tim to put together a troupe of people of color because the fest had really no people of color in the festival doing anything right and they're like okay this is this is bad we gotta do something and they were like we know a black guy yeah we know a, <laughs> we know a funny black guy it doesn't seem like a loner eddie murphy <laughs> <laughs> and uh so yeah tim was like oh you guys want to start a troop da, da, da. so we started the troop and then we we did the sketch uh the sketch festival and then they asked us to do the best of the fest show and caitlin brown who was a producer in the first season who mysteriously disappeared. I'll never find out what, what happened to her. But she was like, no, no, she lives in Scarborough, okay. but she was just not on the show anymore. Okay. Um, but She's alive. Yeah, She's she just is no alive. longer on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caitlin, if you're out there, uh, let's go have wings. And <laughs> we, um, but she saw us and she went up to Goulet and she was like, oh, have you guys thought about like a TV show? Like, would you be interested in talking about that? And Goulet's still riding the high of an excellent live show. It's just like, yep. All right, good to meet you. See you later. Didn't get any information from her. Great. <laughs> so, but we're still like, oh, cool. But that was so much fun. And like, you know, uh, the sketch comedy community is like really like digging what we're doing. And, and that's wonderful. And then it was uh, about a year later, I think at the next one, um, where Bruce came to, we opened up for Bruce. I think he saw one of our live shows and stuff. And he was like, come open up for me. And, and then he had some like, I don't know, I think people from like Rogers and stuff. He invited like some CBC people and like, gotta mm. check out this troop. And I think he was just planting seeds, you know? Right. Yeah, just getting, I'm, I'm going to get back on that CBC. And <laughs> these, these brown kids are my ticket to the <laughs> top. He's like, they don't want me old white anymore, but I know some black guys. <laughs> and you're like, Bruce, we're not all black. <laughs> some of us are Filipino. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but, and then Susan like and we sat down and had a meeting and yeah yeah it was, did it change the kind of sketches you were doing to put them on tv did it change what you were trying to put out in the world yeah i mean if, from the live show to the television show it definitely did change we added another cook we added bruce mccullough right so with bruce uh we were kind of like things were shifted into like now it wasn't just us being like we love this idea it's gold Da, da, da. he's like well i have some experience in this area and i can really help you guys out and i don't think it's gold yet let me help you get it there mm. so it definitely did change the way we executed jokes but we we did fight hard to keep um the sentiment of what we were saying and he totally understood that 
he was just like, I'm just trying to add a little bit of panache onto what you guys are doing. Right. And, yeah. And it's just Bruce's voice. Um, is there a sketch that you're devastated didn't make it to air that you can think of? Um, mm, uh, I guess one that I I pulled I pulled out of the rotation, and I'm not I'm not devastated. I I don't think there was any that was devastated, but there's this is a sketch that didn't make it to air that was like fully fleshed out and ready to go, and I pulled it. It was called Decolonize X, and it was like it was about like this guy trying to f like fast track his way to decolonization mm. like you would like like <laughs> like with like books or something for like healthy eating or whatever right like, right right decolonization for dummies oh it was like a p90x type thing you know get your body fat and like shit oh, like, okay, like shape okay. you know like get, that's exercise gear yeah yeah and it was like <laughs> how do you yeah, that is exercise. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, so you just you didn't feel like it was the right tone? I felt like I wasn't well informed enough that we didn't really ha have the foundation of what we were trying to say and trying to achieve. And it's just like, what is decolonization? And we didn't frame it. And we didn't like welcome. This is Canadian decolonization for a native person. Like that was like what I felt was like obvious with the visual, but. It just at some point it just stopped feeling like the right idea, right? Uh, and I was like, "What am I saying? And is this going to kind of put me on blast within the community?" And like, I see, yeah. So I think I got a little self conscious with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pulled it away. Do you feel like you need to have your? I guess in that case you do, but I would imagine it's challenging to have your ideas on all of these issues fully like. Um, figure it out in your own head before you can start like commenting on it. Is that like, are you, have you figured out everything you're trying to say before you write a sketch or are you figuring it out as you write? You get challenged a lot and that's good. Uh, you get challenged by your friends about being like, all right, I don't really fully understand the sentiment of what you're saying or um, this is kind of how I view it. Um, and like I'm not trying to tear apart, tear apart your sketch at all. It's just like this is this is what I think when I read it. Right. I'm thinking critically. Where are the holes in the ship? You know. And um, yeah, uh, I think that's all part about sketch writing. And sometimes it clicks, and sometimes you're like, yeah, that's it. That's the joke. One hundred percent. Everyone here agrees. And sometimes it just that's not what it is. I just wanted to ask, um, what happened with boating accident? Because when I started, boating accident was this like nefarious rumor. It was always like, yeah, this one's good. It's a fucking boating accident. <laughs> and it was always this thing that was really funny and nobody could explain it to me. Everybody's like, you just got to see it. You just got to see it. And I was like, well, it doesn't exist. And then you guys <laughs> performed it and it was amazing. But what, what was stopping that from going? Housing it, framing it. Like, how do we put that on TV live? It's a great song. It's fun. I literally thought we we're just doing a music video for boating accident. But like suddenly it had to have a story and it had to like fit in. I was like this. I felt like this was more of a lonely island than it was a kids in the hall thing. Like, why do we have to? But um, yeah, it was <laughs> it was uh, it was just like kind of told to us like it's got to be framed in this way if it's going to be good uh, or. Is this uh, a song you sang the, at the rap party? Is that boating accident? Lost my friend in a boating accident. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen. No, thank you so yeah, much. Really, yeah, really, really incredible. Still, 
still walk around and people are like, oh, boating accident. And I was like, that wasn't on the show. Like, holy crap. Thanks. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> it's so a deep catchy. cut. Appreciate it. For those it. of you at home, it's uh, about a group of people who lost their friend in a boating accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, it is pretty sad. So, like, you kind of have to, like, you can't, can't just, I guess, to to counterpoint my own point uh, here is just, like, it is people have lost friends we live on lake ontario like people in the city and all cities across have lost friends in like boating accidents and stuff so you can't just be like this is this is funny it we're in the context of a comedy show you know you're at a comedy show and these people are singing a comedy and you are watching a comedy show on tv but but now we're in your home and was that the fear that you're going to offend someone who'd lost someone in a boating accident no that's just a thought right now oh, okay that's just a thought right now i'm thinking i'm trying to think like just maybe. a vocal community yeah. <laughs> the boating accident victims <laughs> meanwhile cbc was like this is never going to end. this is way too close to home um i want to talk about the sketch as well um penny or indigenous canadian mm-hmm. which i thought was incredible can you talk about writing that sketch that yeah, that started off as a stand-up bit. That was that was actually going to be a one-off. It was for a Canada Day themed comedy show, and they asked Guy Callum. Uh, he was on he was on some fucking show people really liked, uh, some Canadian sci-fy show from the late nineteen. <laughs> Lovey Callum, great. <laughs> so it was he yeah, was I doing. Could- pick some titles but yeah. i don't have any at hand <laughs> i think it was like orphan black he was on oh cool and um he was running this comedy show characters comedy it was canadian themed come in bring a character that's canadian and do some stand-up about it so i worked harder on the cardboard cutout of the penny uh, that I wore on stage than I did the material. Maybe like <laughs> equal, maybe equal. But like, I drew, I looked at a penny and I hand drew it on a larger scale on this piece of cardboard. And then I, were, I was so proud of that. <laughs> I'm talking about it how many years later. Did you wear that in the show? No. No, not at all. Right. No. You no, wouldn't no, know no. There was no penny on, on this in the sketch. No. You're just a man on the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just a streeter. I wanted to do it with real people, but we thought it was too risky or the comedy wouldn't be right. Wanted a controlled environment. In my head, it was real people. It wasn't? Are you? No, that was an actor. Yeah. Oh, God. Sort of ruined that. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, but it wasn't one of the, like, it wasn't one of the four boys. No, no. This was just uh, just a really great actor. I just thought it was like such a genius idea for a concept because you were, I just thought it was so funny. And the things that you were able to ask were so political and pointed and it like it genuinely killed me i was just i thought that was really smart appreciate it yeah yeah i'm glad so then so you like rewrote it or you had that i just had the the core of it with like the um, i think i had a little bit more jokes but we kind of cut it down to just three jokes and and then like the intro and the outro and it just kind of worked for that amount of time but I had all the the core pieces there, like Canadian government's been trying to get rid of me for years and and uh, marked at birth, reddish brown. Like it was just, it smoked a really good joint that day. So everything was connecting. It, it was nice. really, yeah. really yeah. worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a sketch you're most proud of? Um, I think I'm, I'm proud of uh, Illegal Native. I think that's a great one. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, Can just, you remind me what that is? So that's, it's just a monologue. Um, uh, the raids were happening in Northern BC at the time. And it was just like really infuriated me and just what was going on and just, you know, how it could, the images of the police just climbing over the barricade and, and like fighting for like an oil company to essentially be like, you're going to destroy a river. It's been proved over and over again. This has happened. Like there's no pipeline that has been like just a okay the whole time. You know, like these ain't aren't indestructible things like, and when they do, they destruct more than just itself. So uh, like a way of life even. So, uh, that I just had that running in me with a bunch of emotion. And I just wrote up this thing about, did you know it's illegal to be native in Canada? And, um, and then it just goes on to talk about the prison population in Canada and how it is. It's so, I mean, we make up 3% of the population in Canada, but we make up almost 40% of the prison population. And for native women, it's even more. Like I so, didn't know that number. That's crazy. It is. It is crazy. Like we're we're jailed. We're jailed unfairly. And then people can be like, "Well, fucking just, just stop committing crime." But it's just like that's not how <laughs> systematic oppression works. Like, yeah. So, oh my bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate bar mine. Chocolate bar mine now. No, no commerce. Commerce engine. Uh, no. <laughs> A, a band called Commerce Engine. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it's uh, that one because uh, it came in with like such a heat and such uh, like a place like from the pit of my stomach, and it's yeah. something I really wanted to say. And <laughs> when I remember when I wrote it, Susan, I fucking love her. She came up and she was like, "So um, very gentle. Uh, I read your script, um, you know, and I just want to say that I'm sorry." You know, everything happening up there. And she, like, knew exactly where it was coming from. And uh, I was still like, yeah, fucking put it on the show. Put it on the show. Get it on air. I, I'm going home. Yeah. Like, I'll see you later. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And, and Susan put it on the show. Yeah. It got on the show. Well, congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, As someone who's part of a group of four, our fourth isn't here right now. I just wanted to talk about the process of collaboration. And you're mm-hmm. sort of, like, take away from tall boys. Do you like working in a troupe? Is that, is that something you'd like to continue doing? Uh, working with, I love collaborating. Collaborating mm-hmm. is great. I think that comes from a place of like, um, both like love of like, you know, hanging out with people and joking, but there's also like a significant amount of self-doubt when I write, you know, and it's just nice to have like, to bounce ideas off somebody and be like, is this funny? And then be like, hell yeah, it's funny. And you're like, I'm never going to listen to that voice. But like, thank you for telling me. I believe in it. Now right. I, there's enough fire to like push this to the next level, right. you know? Um, so or someone like, to push you a little harder to do your best work. Totally. Yeah. yeah I really, and I is if there's somebody that I'm like, I, I'm like, fuck, you're funny. Like, and they tell me that it's funny. It's just like, okay, yeah, fuck. Yeah. I'm, I'm finishing this now. And I know, I know where to take it, but there's a lot of people out there who know like uh, more about sketch writing than me. And it's always good to learn from somebody like that. Aj, uh, who wrote on season two and three, he lives down in Minnesota, but he knows a lot about like five act structure for television. And I like working with him because he teaches me a lot about that. So it's just really nice to just to collaborate. And when you work alone, I feel like maybe I get in my own head a little bit too much. It's just nice to have another soul. Totally. Mm-hmm. 
You said in an interview in the Edmonton Journal, um, a super great thing about tall boys is it crosses lines that there's no way a gaggle of white guys could get away with, especially on CBC in 2021. Gaggle. Yeah, you used the word gaggle. Wow. Really good job. Thanks. And so general audience has permission to laugh at some of the tension in society, um, at least in part trying to do often quite clumsily the right thing. So I basically, I mean, I, I just wanted you to sort of talk to that quote, if you could, like, why do you think you four are the faces that give an audience permission to laugh at these kinds of things? Is it just like your backgrounds or is it something specific about the four of you? (laughs) It feels like your body language and the way, like your tone is like, how come you and not my sons? (laughs) My brother did the same thing. And now he's in jail. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I mentioned. I'm glad you got it. Um, I think uh, us being like um, such a, a a small but vast tapestry of what it is to be Canadian. I think it's it's just interesting to watch. Um, people joke about like this thing. Only you can say that. Only you can say that. And then we kind of just put that into a troop. And then everyone's just like, okay, now I, since they're saying it, I've thought it, but that, that's going to get me in some shit. So, you know, it's just nice to, to laugh at, at that. Maybe, I don't know. Gaggle? Like I said, fucking gaggle. <laughs> it feels like gag? a misquote. <laughs> it feels like I really didn't say that. Yeah. yeah you're asking me about this quote. I was like, I have no, I have, I have no. Probably Sue. <laughs> but I think the other thing too about you guys is you're for organically people of color you're not like because somebody was doing a diversity hire and they were like i yeah. want to put together a poc boy band it was like you just happen to be for people of color that all yeah. have the same kind of wavelength and comedy and a voice that's not really being represented yeah. and not to speak for you as a you know a half white person telling you what you're doing yeah, yeah but i just think you guys have that ability to shed light on something and it's not because somebody's holding a knife to your back telling you hey do this it's like this is just who we are and how we want to collaborate and make comedy and we also just happen to have a point of view that you don't have yeah sharp and absurd and i think that really helps with the permission of it it's like you're not we're not just shoving information down your throat we're we're making that shit easily digestible you know yeah yeah we're adding flavor and spice (laughs) yeah spicy show that's how i described tall boys (laughs) yeah makes me horny (laughs) (laughs) um so my last question for you is what's coming up next 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 feels like a lot next i'm um i'm doing like i'm getting more into stand-up back into stand-up again i really like it um just did when's this coming out friday oh no on friday okay I did a guest spot on a television show that's going to be on CTV. And that it's like a mockumentary office style, but Canadian about a library. Do your research. You'll find out what it is. That sounds incredible. Yeah. That's exactly up my alley. It's, it's a really good show and that really good cast. And that was like, it was really awesome um, to do that. And then, yeah, workshopping a play uh, for the Blythe Festival for the 2023 season um, called Knees. Uh, and yeah, that one's that seems cool right now in the first day of that. And and I hope I hope to like keep like nailing it with like acting and stuff. Yeah. It sounds busy. It sounds like you're juggling a lot. Uh, yeah. And yeah. your many podcast appearances. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I wasn't living my life for a long time. Yeah. You're catching up now. I'm exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm a young man. I can. I can. I could use the run. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, those are all my questions. Uh, <laughs> my final question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now Elliot's portion of the interview begins. Uh, we've kind of obviously gone through your whole your life here, both personally and creatively. And I'm sure this is a question that many of the other podcasts would have asked you too. But um, if you were to give like a piece of advice to someone who's kind of starting out either to become an actor or a comedian and any kind of thing, just through the experiences that you've had, what is like a piece of advice that you would give them when they're starting out? I'd say, um, I mean, it sounds stupid cliche, but it's just like, go out there and do it, but don't, don't beat yourself up about, you know, not going out every night. I mean, like we talked about it earlier, we all just went through this massive collective traumatic event and everyone's kind of dealing with it like in different ways. And you see it every day when you speak to people, it's just don't beat yourself up, go and do it and find people that you admire, surround yourself with them. You know, you're going to, it's going to be tough. It's not like you're going to bomb. You're, you're going to feel rejection in all sorts of ways. And it's always good to have other people to lean on. Thank you so much for coming on, Vance. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank we you. We didn't get into any um, shenanigans that happened on set. I think that's for the best. We could, li- like, final note, any final shenanigans. That was my way of saying I wasn't really there for the boat. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really Were you that. not part of the shenanigans? No, I don't think I was allowed. It would kind of be like me having to be like, Daddy, please, may I go to play? No! <laughs> you are grounded! Rub my back. Stay in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get back in the trailer. What are you doing? Get me a Perrier. Like, yeah. Daddy, please. Yeah, it's a Perrier. <laughs> Get me a bubbly. Where's my script? <laughs> what day is it? Yeah, so I wasn't really there for that, but... And where can we find you? Oh, yeah. Where can people check you out? Check out what you're doing or find you personally? Um, yeah. Real me? What's your t- handle at real me? Be real. Be real. Oh, be real. <laughs> be real me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, find me on the new social media, real me, where I'm just like a vindictive <laughs> asshole. I'm jealous. The only, the only person on it. <laughs> It seems like this app is just FaceTime in advance. <laughs> it's not really a lot of engagement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Vance Banzo and all the, the major ones. Um, yeah. Instagram, Twitter. Um, don't add me on Facebook. I hate that. I hate when randos add me on Facebook. Uh, just because, like, no, yeah, I've got to add if I know you, if I've seen your face and we've had a decent conversation, please add me. Like, but, anyways, um. <laughs> at Vans Benzo. do you have a P.O. box? Do you like handwritten letters from fans? Oh, shit, yeah, I'm, I'm, I better get a P.O. Okay, cool. Thanks for stopping by, Vance. Of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs>